Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, now, with that said, let's do Big Ten, everybody. Who's excited? We're finishing it up today. Come on, celebrate. Pat yourself on the back. You did 10 weeks of this. That's a big deal. This is the longest series we've ever done. And I love seeing all the Big Ten t-shirts out here. I will say this morning, we did an inventory check. We have three, what is it, smalls, right, Philip? We have three small Big Ten shirts left. And so if you have yet to get one, or if, if you can fit in one, or if you'd like to fit in one someday, what, that's between you and the Lord. There's three, and you're at the 930, so you run back there and grab it, and uh, we have them in a welcome home area, but it's just been so fun doing Big Ten. Thank you for joining us throughout this. Uh, yeah, speaking of size and whatnot, uh, this past week when I was at the gym, got on the, the scale in the locker room, and uh, when, I, when I stood there, someone else that was there, you know, a guy, he, he said, hey, is it friendly? We all know what he meant by that, right? When I go, is, is it friendly? So I looked over him. I said, not really. I thought the numbers would be a little higher by now. And he responded and said, wow, when I get on the scale, I want the numbers to be lower. And, and to which I said to him, isn't it interesting? We always seem to want what we don't have. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we wrap up the Ten Commandments with the Tenth Commandment. We always seem to want what we don't have. You know that tension. I know that tension. Scripture is going to speak to that tension this morning. So for the last time, and maybe, maybe without the slide, Drew, let's see if the church knows it. What do we believe the Ten Commandments do? Don't put it up yet. Let's try to say it from memory. I won't even look at the cheat screen here, okay? The, the, say it with me. The Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God and reflect the Christian life. Just made up sign language. I feel like I'm back in VBS. Like it, it worked a little bit. All right, let's show it to him, Drew. Put it up. Yeah, the Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God and reflect the Christian life. All right, this is what we've discovered. It's why we've invested 10 weeks to look at what seems like old literature and, and not relevant, yet we've discovered who God is. We've discovered his heart and we've learned what it means to be a Christian, to be someone who who shines bright in this dark world. Now, if you weren't here for all nine weeks, don't worry, the next slide is for you. You could take a picture of it. Here's the 10 commandments in their entirety. We discovered that we should have no other gods and not make images of God, to honor the Lord's name, to remember the Sabbath, to honor our parents. And then that other side there is really what we've been, especially the last four. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness was last week. And Now today, we're going to discover what number 10 is. And I want to say this before we read it. Although it's last on the list, it is not least in its importance. In fact, I would hope that you would see how the 10th commandment really wraps up all the commandments before it. Certainly, certainly speaks to the first commandment, no other gods. We're going to see that. And really, while the previous four speak of actions with our words and our hands, this commandment more clearly than any others addresses our hearts. Remember the tension. We always seem to want what we do not have. So here's the commandment. Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
the 10th commandment. Would you just read that first line with me? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Let's break down what this commandment is saying. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. I'll give you some examples. Wow, they have a nice house. Or if you're like, <laughs> yeah, you all laugh because you know you said that before. <laughs> or if you're like my son who is eight, he'll say, Dad, how come their grass is so green and fluffy? <laughs> to which I'll say, boy, you don't like our dirt? <laughs> What's the matter with our dirt and our moss? <laughs> Right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Or what is the next part? It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Wow, she looks beautiful. I, I wish my wife looked like that. Or to the ladies might be saying, well, look at, look at her husband. He's so great with the kids. He seems to fix things around the house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It went on to say, or his male or female servant, or his ox or donkey. Now, I, don't, I wasn't on the parking lot dream team today, so I didn't see if anyone rode a donkey to church today. So let's bring this up to 2022 for a second. Man, my car is a piece of junk. I just wish we had something newer. Or I, I, I just look at my friends and all the vacations they take. How come we can't have some nice things or do what they're doing? Why am I stuck at this job? Why is my income stuck at this level? And the last part really sums it up. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I wish I could be as smart as him. I, I wish I was as pretty as her. I wish I was as successful as them. See, while this commandment was written thousands of years ago, we're really not as far removed from it as we might think. Now, what we need to do this morning is we need to establish some things. We really need to define what the commandment is not saying, then understand what the commandment is saying, and lastly realize how we might obey it. Because if we don't establish what this commandment is not saying, I can assure you all of us are going to leave here with guilt. And the scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today is not about guilting us, but rather it's about getting us to see clearly the life that God has called us to live. Because again, we all know the tension of wanting things that we do not have or wishing things were different. So let's establish what the commandment is not. And in our English language, it is so easy to just say, oh, this commandment, it tells me not to have any desires, not to want anything. That's what it's saying. And I want to speak to that right now. If that's what you believe, that it's wrong for us to want something or have desires, I would suggest you're more Buddhist than you are Christian. If you're not familiar with Buddhism, the entire belief system is built on we should deny any sort of desire and craving. That's the root of all problems. And so through the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, we might rid ourselves of wanting things around us and then we'll be free. That's not the Christian message. I'm going to show you in a minute. So let's establish what coveting, the word, is not. First off, coveting is not noticing. It is not wrong to notice the new shiny car in the driveway located next to yours. I can't help but notice it. It's there every morning. Okay, no, noticing is not coveting. To, to notice is not to covet. Secondly, coveting is not wanting. To want is not to covet. Well, how do we know this? Well, here's how we know this. Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted food in the wilderness. He was hungry. Jesus wanted relief from his pain and suffering in the garden. Jesus wanted drink while on the cross. And we also know that Jesus perfectly obeyed all the commandments. So he clearly didn't break the 10th commandment in his wanting. We even see in scripture that there are times where 
want and desire is beautiful. See, the law against coveting is not a law against your feelings. You need to understand that, to feel a desire, to feel a want. In fact, there's a woman in scripture, her name is Hannah. Her desire is for a child. And she cries out to the Lord year after year for a child. And the response of the priest at the time is not, you need to rid yourself of that desire. It is wrong to want a child. Rather, her desire is met. She wanted and it was met. In fact, Jesus himself said that we should pray and ask, bring our requests to the Lord. So we, we can't just leave here and say, ah, I understand the 10th commandment. I shouldn't want. I should get rid of my wants and my desires and then I'll be obeying the commandment. No, that's not what this commandment is saying. So you, ne you need to write down, you need to remember, coveting is not noticing. Coveting is not wanting. Well then, what is coveting is our question. We know what it's not, then what is it? I heard an analogy that really it made me pause as I heard it, and maybe it'll make you pause as well, to distinguish between coveting and wanting. It says this, that in wanting, you are the dog, and the want is the tail. Make sense so far? Remember, it's an analogy. It's not going to be perfect, but just go with it for a second. So in wanting, you're the dog, which means you make the decisions, you lead, and the tail is behind you, it follows. But in coveting, the dog is the want, and you become the tail. When the want starts to wag you, when the want starts to drive you, when the want is calling the shots, when the want is steering the course of your life and the direction, and you're just behind it, wagging and hoping, you have moved from wanting to coveting. Now, that's an analogy. Let's go to Scripture. How does scripture define coveting? Colossians chapter three, verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Well, what's that? Which is, say the word with me, idolatry. Scripture has something very different to say about coveting than we will hear in culture. Scripture says, here's what coveting is. Coveting is idolatry. It says, I can't live without that person, place, or possession. It makes a God out of our desires. That's the difference. That's what coveting is according to Scripture. It is not to want, it is not to notice, it is not just to desire, it is in fact idolatry. It is when the, the wanting becomes so supreme in our lives that it becomes in, in fact a God to us. Isn't it interesting that the Ten Commandments ends with this, and the first one is you shall have no other gods, and now the Tenth Commandment is you shall not covet, which seems like it's you shall not want, but it's way deeper than that. It's way more than that. When we covet, and you know this, I know this, not that any of us have ever coveted before. I know, I know this room, right? We're, we're good on this. But we know people who covet, and let's identify two qualities of the people. They're selfish, when we covet, we become selfish. I can no longer celebrate what my neighbor has 
because I can't imagine myself without it. What you have, I need. I need the success. I need the status. I need the stuff. I need the vacation. I need the family. I can't celebrate you. I can only desire what you have. Covetous people are selfish. And also, you know this, when we covet, we become discontent with what we already have. My phone was fine until Apple told me they're making a new one. My camera was great. My car was awesome until I rented a new car that had the new car smell. I mean, you get a whiff of that, and my car smells old. It smells like stale goldfish and Cheerios. I have toddlers, right, like young kids. So, is there, is there chocolate milk open back there somewhere? What is this smell? Wait, right, when we're covetous, suddenly even what we have is not good enough. We become discontent. We're no longer grateful. So I want to spend a little bit more time here diagnosing if by chance, and I know it's a rare chance because none of us would ever do this, but if by chance we should drift from wanting and desire to coveting, I want to I share with you what Kevin DeYoung says, four signs that can alert us if our want has become a covet. And here's why I think it's worth you writing these down and knowing these because this is not a message that we're going to hear on social media or in the news or from advertisers. There's, have you ever seen that advertisement yet that says, don't buy this, be content with what you have. You already have more than enough. That doesn't exist. That's, that's not the culture we live in. Culture is constantly trying to get us to be covetous, to be driven by our wants of what we don't have. So let me share with you four signs that you might be or may someday covet. Here's the first one. You've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. And the hurting may be done with words, a sarcastic remark. Oh, I see you're going on another vacation. Maybe that reveals in you that you have the desire to take the vacation. It could be done with a sneer, with a sigh, with a look. It could be done that you'll hurt others with a I'll do whatever it takes mentality. After all, isn't that a narrative of culture? The end justifies the means. So I'm just trying to get what I most want in this moment and I'll do whatever it takes. And if I have to hurt someone, if I have to compromise, well, that's just necessary. The second sign, you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more, more. You know, the interesting thing about possessions is the more we possess, the more potential there is for them to possess us. The more possessions we possess, the more there is potential for the possessions to start to possess us. We can become so preoccupied with, well, if it felt good to achieve this, how would it feel to achieve more? And, and after all, there's another person in the company that's doing a little bit better than me. And if I could, if I could just get what they have, if I could just be recognized the way they are, and we become so preoccupied with it. Here's the third sign. You're unwilling to give up what you already have. See, God calls us to be good managers of the resources we have. The Bible is so clear on saving up and, and living within our means and so many great financial principles and about being generous. Jesus had an encounter with a man known as the rich young ruler. And when he was diagnosing his heart, 
it was shown that he had a covetous spirit about him. He was unwilling to give up. It was all about consumption. Could be a sign. Here's the fourth one, the one I related to the most, and maybe you will as well. You're frequently grumbling about your house, your spouse, the quality or quantity of your possessions, and the general state of your life. Frequently grumbling. New Yorkers, I hear you. You are coveting your neighbor's house in the South. Stop it. Even with this past week, what I saw, oh, now New York's just going to be a safe haven for this. We need to move. We need to get out of here. Could it be that your complaining is showing that you're not content? I believe that God has assigned your zip code to you. Does that mean he can't reassign it? Of course he can. But may we not step out of his will because we have a covetous heart. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? If you haven't, I'm praying for your salvation, everybody. It's, it's, the, it's my favorite Christmas movie, and I'm going to be preaching about it this December, actually. So I'm excited for that. But if you're not familiar with it, the lead character, George Bailey, is covetous. He's done with Bedford Falls. And there's this marking scene before his heart is transformed where he comes home and he's complaining, why do we have to live in this drafty old house? And why do we have to have all these noisy kids? And I see myself in the movie. (laughs) And maybe you do too. I was sharing with my counselor this Thursday and we were talking about my tendency to be thinking what's next instead of what is and being present. And we used an illustration of when I come home and there's toys everywhere, blankets on the floor, and even my pillows from my bed are now a part of a fortress in the middle of the living room. And, And I'm thinking, what? is happening here. What's, what's next? We need to clean. And I'm, and I'm not content in that moment. And I can complain and I can grumble about wanting a change of circumstance, a, a change of location. It could be, and again, this is just Kevin DeYoung's suggestion that it's a signpost. See, there is a difference between wanting and coveting. And here's what we need to know this morning. Coveting is devastating. It, it leads to devastation. Now, think about this. The way the commands begin are so, like, we can track with them. Okay, I'm getting this. Don't, wor- don't worship other gods. That makes sense. Honor the Lord's name. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. But then we end with, oh, and by the way, don't look too hard at your neighbor's new donkey. It, it feels a little like, well, where did we go here? Is this really as horrible? After all, it's, it's in the heart. It's not an action. Is it really that devastating? Let me give you three examples from Scripture quickly of those who started with coveting and and ended horribly. We spoke of Achan not too long ago. Achan was the one who stole and whose family was killed for his stealing. And the Israelites lost the battle against Ai. But look what he says, why he stole. Joshua 7, 21. When I saw in the plunder, I coveted them and took them. All the devastation started with the covet. The want became the dog and Achan was the tail following behind. Here's another example, one you may not be familiar with. Ahab, wicked King Ahab of Israel. He coveted Naboth's vineyard. He wanted it. And Naboth told him no. And he went home sad. And his wife, Queen Jezebel, said, we'll fix this. Hired false witnesses, the ninth commandment, to accuse Naboth falsely of something he had never done and he was murdered and then the vineyard was stolen. Now look at all these commands that are broken. And one you may be familiar with, 
perhaps most popular, King David himself with Bathsheba. Scripture says that he saw Bathsheba, but it wasn't just a notice and it wasn't just a want. He coveted his neighbor's wife. And so he had sex with her, breaking the seventh commandment. He tried to cover it up by murdering her husband he, stealing and lying, all of this mixed in, and what did it start with? Covet. See, this is important for us to understand today. So we know what it's not. We know what it is. And now we need to end with how then do we keep it? And to discover that, I want to read just three verses from the New Testament. Philippians chapter four. This is Paul writing, and he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, for context, Paul writes these words from a Roman prison. If there was ever a justified person in a justified place to covet another location, to covet a change of scenery, we have Paul, who could be writing, God, where are you? I want to get out of here. Free me. But he doesn't write that. There's something that he knows, something that we need to know today. What did he say in verse 12? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And here, I must admit, we have come across what might be considered a dirty and offensive word to this world, content. Contentment. It's not a word that's broadcast. It's not an attribute or a quality that's promoted. Oh, just be content. And I don't think I need to spend time explaining what contentment means because we know it, but here's the challenge. We know it, but it's hard to apply it. We know what it would be to be content with our stuff, the people in our lives, with what God has given us, and yet it is so hard. So then, how can we be content? There's a phrase that Paul uses, and there's two parts that I want to focus on. And the first part is there. He calls it the secret the secret. What is a secret? Well, it's something that is not obvious. My daughter, Cece, if she's ever whispered to you a secret before, I'm so sorry. She is the most breathy whisperer that I've ever met in my life. Like, I can never make out the secret she's trying to tell me amidst the breathing. <laughs> but there's something not obvious about a secret. It's, it's, not, it's not easily seen. It's, it's a secret. And contentment is just that. It's not obvious. It's not easily seen. So then does that mean if, secret, if contentment is a secret, there are not many who will know it? Yes. And you know that to be true. Just look around you. How many in your friend circle, in your family circle, seem to know the secret? So no, it's not something that many will know. Well, then what hope is there for us today? Ah, I want to show you. All of us can know it. How? Because of the 10th commandment. 
Notice the 10th commandment in its negative writing says, do not covet. If we were to put it in a positive, it would mean be content. It's a command of God. God is not somewhere removed dangling the secret in front of us saying, oh, Jesus, come over here. They're never going to figure this out. I'm just going to hold this in front of them. They can, they can never get it. That's not the heart of the Father. He's given us a command, which means if he's called us to obey, there's potential for obedience. So the command is actually itself a blessing because it shows us, ah, then I can know the secret. And there are moments in life that will reveal whether or not we know it or not. In fact, Paul gives two very clear ones. What did he say? He said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. He gives two seasons of life. He seems like he's left out the hardworking middle class here, but that's okay. Stay with me for a second. He says, I, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to be in plenty. Two seasons that we would probably all find ourselves in at some point. The season of need, where our wants are more on display. And again, not wrong to want, notice, but it's a good indicator when you're in need, do you know the secret? Or when you have plenty. Now that's interesting because one would think if I have plenty, why would I covet? Again, no one in this room. Let's talk about other people for a second. You've heard of these people. They've gotten the job. They've married the right person. They've moved to the best neighborhood with the best school. They've got the status and the vacation and the retirement. And then they'll say something honest. It's not enough. I want more. And it's not just movie stars and athletes that make these claims. It's every one of us when we have plenty. It's a good indicator if we've learned the secret. So here's what Paul goes on to say, the second part of his phrase. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, the part that's hard for us is he doesn't say, I've discovered the secret. He doesn't say, I've found out the secret. He doesn't say someone's told me the secret. He says what? Learned. I've learned it. Learning is ongoing. So today, unfortunately, I can't teach you the secret in this one setting. We can't come in covetous and leave content in a moment's time. This is an ongoing decision empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives to yield to him. What I will do, though, is I'll offer you three paths, three repeatable action steps that you and I should take if we are to learn the secret of contentment as we live in a world that teaches us anything but contentment. Here's the first thing to put on repeat. It is the gospel. You need to be the best preacher in your life to you. I can't be. Our preaching team can't be. Your favorite podcaster or YouTuber cannot be the best preacher to you. You need to be the best preacher to you. You need to learn how to gospel your covetous heart as you window shop them all. As you scroll Amazon, I'm not there. You are, the Holy Spirit is. You've got to learn how to gospel your heart. You have to learn how to expose the root behind the behavior. So, okay, I want this, 
but why am I driven by it? Let me give you a sentence that you should preach to yourself regularly to help. If only I had blank, I would finally be happy. That is a great way to gospel your heart. What's in the blank is your functional God. It has become the thing you most desire. It has moved from a want, maybe a good thing, but when it becomes supreme, it is dangerous. And it's become the thing that's driving you. And in that moment, we gospel our hearts and say, but I'm fully satisfied by Jesus himself, who is living water and the bread of life. I'm satisfied by him. You've got to gospel your heart. You can't just dismiss this and say coveting's not a big deal. Scripture says it's idolatry. It is sin. And the gospel says our sin separates us from God. God sent his son to this world. See, I'm gospeling my heart. And so I'm a new creation. I'm not driven by this desire. I'm going to gospel my heart. Here's the second thing to put on repeat, an attitude of gratitude. What did we say that those covetous people are, which none of us are. Remember, we're, we're gossiping this morning. We're talking about others. Shame on us. Those, those covetous people, they're not grateful. They're discontent with what they have. What if, this is crazy, what if you thanked God for where you live right now instead of complained about it? What if you thanked them for your home, thanked them for your children, as noisy as they are? as messy as they are. And for those with adult children, it's the same thing, as messy as their lives are. What if you thanked God for them? An attitude of gratitude. Covetousness cannot stay where that is. We live grateful. And here's the third thing. Put it on repeat. Your radical generosity in our spirit. Here's why. And no, this is not the giving message. That's happening in two weeks, everybody, okay? <laughs> you can laugh there. It's all right. Radical generosity, not, not simply here on Sunday through our tithes and offerings, not through our worship of finances here, but a radically generous spirit that defeats selfishness in us. Because remember, covetous people are selfish. They look at their neighbor and say, I can't celebrate with you. I can't bless you. I want what you have. But to be generous means I'm going to fight greed in my heart. And we have a resource to help you with that. In the back of the room, there are these something extra to show God loves you cards. In fact, we have a slide that'll show you what it looks like nice and big. Something extra to show God loves you. These are for you to grab. Or in the back, take as many as you'd like. We have a lot of these. Because I want you to develop a radically generous spirit all summer long. As you're vacationing, as you're out eating, as you're around your neighbors and your friends, wherever you are, I'm encouraging you to have one of these cards on you and to create a radically generous spirit by using these. We did this last night. Our kids did it. We went out, shout out to rainbow rolls. My goodness, humanity is advancing, everybody. They take the ice cream now and they roll it and put it in a, in a taco shell, like a waffle cone. It was, it was the best night. It was awesome. And we gave our kids each some money for a tip to the, the person making their waffle cone and a card. And you, it was beautiful to see the look on the faces of the people behind the counter to receive that from a child. So here's a little something extra to show God loves you. Thank you for the ice cream. I'll probably be back in a few minutes for a second. Thank you. <laughs> this is a way to have a radically generous spirit to be looking, how can I bless someone? 
How can I be content with what I have knowing what Paul knew? And here's what Paul knew. He says in the same passage, Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? And that does not speak of wealth, health, and, and financial status. It's better than that. He meets all of our needs, starting with our need for salvation, to be saved, to be made new. And if he can do that, then certainly he can meet the other basic needs in our lives, which frees us to not covet, but to be content. We're going to respond now through worshiping our God. And in this song, there is a line that is repeated. And I will be content in every circumstance. And I'm going to caution you to only sing it out if it's the truth of your heart today. And if it's not your heart's truth, it can be. Because yes, it's a secret, but it can be learned and it is available to all through Jesus. And so I want to pray for you now that you would turn your heart towards him and then we will respond in worship. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the depth of it, and for the beauty of it, and for its invitation to not live covetous, but to truly be content. Lord, I pray that we would have on repeat what we've started to learn this morning, to gospel our hearts, to have an attitude of gratitude, to embrace radical generosity. Lord, I pray for those who truly struggle in this area, Lord, all of us in different degrees know what it's like to covet. May we find the freedom that comes in knowing you are our God. May we not belittle this command to think it's least because of its place, but may we realize the devastation that comes when we choose to covet. And may we live bright in this dark world. May our lives shine as we embrace the contentment that you have for us. In Jesus' name, we all said amen.